Greetings in the name of Jesus. Welcome again to our broadcast, our podcast. Thank God for all hindrances and obstacles have been removed, which for the past few weeks I was not able to record and send. I trust that you have opened again this podcast this time. I have a very important message to share with you from God's Word in 1 John chapter 3. Last two Sundays ago was Father's Day, and we emphasized our relationship with the Father, the special relationship we have with Him. Today we are talking about the children of God. And so 1 John chapter 3 talks about it. And we divided this chapter into three portions. Verses 1 to 3 talks about the quality of our celestial relationship. From verses 4 to 5, it talks about sin, our attack on sin as the attack on relationship. And then, verses 6 to 15, hatred is an attack on our relationship. And lastly, 16 to 24, the agape, dynamic relationship. Now we go to verses 1 to 3, first of all. It says, uh, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That is our theme for this chapter. Behold, God is saying, Look, consider, pay attention. I'm going to share you something. This is the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What is bestowed is to give graciously lavished something unearned and uh, God is according to John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son this love is offered to everyone now what hinders people to believe in the love of God number one is prime we want to earn it we want to buy it. No, we don't. Secondly, unbelief. What? God loves me? I'm a sinner? No. And thirdly, time. It takes time to understand the love of God. Well, maybe just to be born again to that time when we believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior, then that's just the beginning. That's why it says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it that really baffles us? We are called the children of God. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, the Father himself said, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Then in Hebrews 2.11, it's the Son. He is not ashamed to call them brethren, Jesus calls every believer his own brothers and sisters. And then in Romans 8.16, the Spirit does it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Praise God. The confirmation of our being child of God is done by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now the question is, was it very necessary to make rescued sinners his children? In the case is there's a person 
who is homeless or maybe a child of the enemy of the country and he's dying to some war and comes a soldier, part of the army, and instead of just bring healing to the person says, I adopt you as my son. Oh, hallelujah. Now, because of children of God, according to John 1, 12, but as many as receive Jesus, to them we have given the power, the right, to become children of God, even to them that believe on His name. Therefore, the world does not know us. We talk about being the children of God. The Buddhists don't believe it. The atheists don't believe it. And other groups do not believe it because they did not know. They didn't know God. And so they don't understand that the offering of become children is offered by God Himself. Now in verse 2, what is the destiny of God's children? Now we are the children of God, according to Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're a child of God, you have that inward assurance. Hallelujah. Now, it has not been revealed what we shall be. Okay, we are now children of God. Well, what will it be like? How will I look like? Just like my daughter once, having we had newly come to States, and she was still young in the elementary grade. After being a year here, she said to my wife, Mom, I've been here already one year. I don't look like an American. We are not so sure how it will be when I become children of God. How would we look like, right? And then it says, we know that when He is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Hallelujah. That's the promise. Then Paul said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am known. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Then it says in Revelation, verses 1 to 13, I read it verse by verse, 13 to 16. As John wrote, I saw Jesus a vision in heaven. He was dressed in a long robe with a golden breastplate. His head and his hair were white as snow and white as wool. His eyes blazed with fire, and his feet shone as the finest bronze glows in the furnace. His voice had the sound of a great waterfall, and I saw that in his right hand they held seven stars. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face ablaze like the sun at its height. That glory just talks about Jesus. We will be similar to that, but not like the one reigning on the throne. At the same time, we know that heaven, that in heaven Jesus will bear the scars of his suffering. Remember recording in John chapter 20, 24 to 29, when Jesus came to the upper room after his resurrection and the disciples that he was still dead. And to identify himself, he showed them the marks in his hand. Hallelujah. Now, we shall see him as he is. He will be our glory, not all the furniture and the landscaping, no. It will be the beauty of Jesus in heaven that we will see. Hallelujah. Now to third part in verses 3 and 4. We have the purifying hope in Christ. Everyone who has this hope 
within him purifies himself. Now we are already assured that we are children of God. This hope is in him. Let us have that hope and show forth that I have an identification with Christ. We will purify ourselves. Why? Sin is an attack. According to verses 4 to 5, sin is the one that will destroy, strive to destroy our relationship. Verse 4, sin is lawlessness. And we know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And that is why Jesus Christ came. It says here in Matthew 1.21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What did, what did Jesus do? He takes away the penalty of our sin, number two. He takes away the power of sin away. And finally, he would take away, us away from the presence of sin when, it, when we are resurrected and brought back to glory. First, he was manifested to take away our sins. It's he, not us. Why? We cannot take away our sin. We are powerless to take away the penalty of our sin. And then secondly, we cannot take away the power of sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. It's in us. That's why Paul cried, Who will deliver me from this power of death? Only Jesus Christ. And finally, we cannot take away the presence of sin in our lives. It's there. As long as we are physically alive, the presence of sin will keep on trying to enchain us again. Now, why? Because in Christ, there is no sin. In Him, there is no sin. He alone can take away sin from us. Now in verse 6, abiding in sin is abiding. We have a choice, abiding in sin or abiding in God. Then it says here, whoever abides in Him does not sin. When we are in Christ, we have victory over sin. Now, let's define things. When it says it does not sin, it says it, did not, it means does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. So, even Paul, as we said a while ago, still cry before God for deliverance and his hope alone in Jesus to have power over sin. But talking about a, Christ, a Christian does not sin, he's talking about habitual. And so when we sin, we can cry, Lord, help me. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the verse says, whoever abides in Jesus, in him does not sin. It is not having a lifestyle of habitual sin. And so we just trust in God and finally we have overcome. And that's why Paul said, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have victory over sin. Then it tells here for us to understand, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So one is uh, playing with sin and adultery and so on, uh, murder, hatred, has not known Jesus. But when Jesus comes in, he is being cleansed. Let no one deceive you. 
sometimes and many times the devil will say, you're okay, you're already praying to receive Christ. You can continue. You're already cleansed. Wow. Why? Bible principle is, he who practices righteousness is righteous. Only Jesus can bring that righteousness in a person, not being religious, but being righteous. The most important thing a person can ever do is make sure he is righteous before God, having a right standing before God. That's when we are cleansed in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John is not saying that we are made righteous before God by our own righteous act. The Bible clearly teaches that we are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as he is righteous, we can leave the corrupted and the lives characterized by righteousness by the power of Jesus Christ. Now verses 8 and 9, the root of sin and the root of righteousness. This we'll find out is the one that will uh, work out our, our, our attack on our relationship. Sin was our attack on our relationship. Now in these verses from uh, 6 to 15 and 8 to 9, he who sins is of the devil. And for this purpose, the Son of God must manifest it, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And First uh, John 3, 5, that was emphasized there in verse 5. And he was manifested to take our sin. Now John gives us another reason that he might destroy the works of the devil in us. So whosoever is born of God does not sin. He does not continue in habitual sin. To be born again, there's a change to come to our lives. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, saying that as believers we are put off concerning our former conduct, the old men, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and that we are to put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness. Hallelujah. And uh, the Lord gives us the power over sin. Now, part of this is the emphasis on hatred. Now, we talk about hatred in relationship. Is it relationship to the Father? Hatred? Is it in relation to Jesus Christ? Is it in relation to the Holy Spirit? No. He talks about relationship now with our fellow men. Basically, sin is with God. Now, hatred is in relation with our brethren in the church. Two essentials, it is righteous conduct and love for the brethren. So, sin was unrighteousness, our, our relationship with God. Now, when we talk about love for the brethren, the children of God, we become a part of a family. The children of God and the children of the devil. Oh, there are two families here. Jesus called the people, the Jews, in John 8, 41 to 45, you are of your father the devil. You are murderers. You hate. And Jesus said, you belong to the devil. That's the children of the devil. But when we're born again, we become children of God. And it is manifest according to this verse. God gave a simple, though not easy, but to identify who are the children of God and the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Or is he who does not love his brother? So in relation to God is righteousness, but in our relation to our brother, also love, like loving God with all our heart, with our soul, with all our mind, and this is reflected in relationship with our brethren. We need to love one another. It says, uh, stress here in verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Yes, in the Gospel of John, and also in First John chapter 2, that we should really love one another. And the example of hatred given here in chapter 3 verse 12 is Cain, the brother of Abel. And there are very, very basic principles here to realize about Cain. He came from a godly upbringing from Adam and Eve after the Lord God rescued them and they were forgiven. And then Cain had the lack of faith. Why? He did not believe in God. There was no fear of God in him. Thirdly, Cain's disobedience and hatred was based on pride. He felt he was better than Abel. And then Cain's disobedience and hatred made him miserable because his gift that he offered and sacrificed God did not accept. And because of the disobedience, he felt very miserable. And his hatred towards God, he reflected it to his brother. And then Cain refused the warning of God that God gave him. Cain, sin is at the door. Repent. Instead of repenting to God, he killed his brother. And Cain's sin of hatred led to action. His hatred to God. Because God did not accept his sacrifice, he killed his brother. And that is what happens. So Cain was evasive about the sin of hatred and tried to hide it. Cain, where is your brother? I don't know, Cain said. And normally that's the case with us when we sin. We hide it. We think we can hide it from God. Now verses 13 to 15, love is the evidence of a new birth. This is very, very essential. So starting from verse 13, 15 introduces us to the next section. The evidence, instead of hatred, it should be love. Do not marvel. You wouldn't be surprised when the world hates us because there is hatred among the body of Christ. That's surprising. It's true that even in the churches, they split because of hatred within. And then it says here, whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Without blood being shed. And especially in the Sermon on the Park, the Sermon on the Mount, in five, chapter 5 of Matthew 21 to 22, he who hates his brother is a murderer. And uh, there is no murderer because eternal life abiding in him. Very strongly said here in the passage. So, we now come to the real thing, love. And the Greek word for love is agape. But there are two other words for love. One is eros. It is erotic love or just sexual love. That's not wrong. That's our, so we can procreate. The second is storgy. It's family love, filial love between parent and child or between the clan in general. Storgy, the belonging to a family. And lastly, filial. It is uh, 
filial relationship between brothers and sisters in the immediate family is a belonging as one family. So the last is, the highest is agape, that loves without changing. This is authored by God himself, planting that love in our hearts. Then it says, by this we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us. That is the example of how much Jesus loves us. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the second of three in Romans 5, 6, that when we were ungodly, Christ died for us. And then the other one is in Romans 5, 10, And while we were enemies, Christ died for us. What a powerful love. Jesus just loves us so much. How great must have been our sins. How great must have been His love. And how sick the believer is in the love of Christ. Wonderful. Hallelujah. And why, how will you know that there is love? It is when you love. Show love not only in words, but in action. And like Jesus, according to this verse here, he ought, we ought to even lay down our lives for the brethren. Hallelujah. Lay down our lives in sacrifice. Jesus did that. He laid down his life for us. And he did not have to. According to Philippians 2, 3, and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interests of others. That is how agape love reflects itself. What it means to live a life of love. Again, we mentioned earlier, let us, according to verses 17 and 18, let us not love in word or in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. Wow. So the that question comes in. How does, uh, what, if a person shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's not there. So we have to not shut up our heart. When we see a person needing, especially in the church, we cannot just ignore. My little children, the advice, let us not love in word or in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. And goes on. We have this assurance in relation to God. Verses 19 to 21. We are we're assured. Hallelujah. It says, And shall assure our hearts before Him. Our assurance is twofold. First, God already knows everything about us. He loves us. He cares for us. And He desires us. Secondly, God knows all things and knows who we truly are in Christ. If we are born again, then real self is the one created in the image of Jesus Christ. Not like in the world, we are not so sure about the standing of a person. The Jews among themselves, even until today, they think they are really godly. But without Christ in the heart, they don't have God in them. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Sometimes our conscience 
convicts us of the past. But great God is greater than our heart. He knows exactly our con- condition. Condemnation can well up inside us. That has nothing to do with us standing before God. That is the attack of the enemy. You passed. But in Revelation 2.10, he accuses the brethren of the work of an overactive conscience. At those times, we trust in what God's word says about our standing, not, not how we feel about it. Yes, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm giving my life to you. Now, it says on, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Hallelujah. Thank God when we have that assurance in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have confidence. We have assurance in Jesus Christ. Now in verse 22, the fellowship in God's love means the assurance of answered prayer. That was ask anything, He will give it to us. Praise the Lord. But if we pray according to His will, remember Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed, if this cup pass from me, not coming to effect in my life, praying three hours, always ending, not my will, but time be done. And so like Jesus, we don't insist our own will, earthly will, but submit to the will of God. And so, in John, first, in John, Gospel of John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire, and it shall be done unto you. If we pray against the will of God, of course, God will not allow it. But we pray according to His will, and that's what He wants. We'll get it. And we ask, we keep His commandments. So the key to prayer he is close fellowship with God as we communicate with Him. And the spirit of true prayer, Thy will be done. Now do those things that are pleasing in His sight. When we are in God, we walk with Him, and we trust in Him. We think do things that are pleasing in His sight. Now 23 and 24, the commandment of Jesus. And this is His commandment, that we love one another. No matter how much the love. But if they, the brother is living in sin, we don't criticize him. We pray for him. We uphold him your prayer. He said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this You will love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22 37 to 39. God can give us that love. We should believe on the name of the Son again. In John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Hallelujah. We believe in the name of Jesus. And John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that we love one another as I have loved you. And so, in the church, body believers, there should be that love flowing from God through us. Hallelujah. That in Romans 8, 9, it tells us that anyone who belongs to Jesus 
has the spirit in him, indwelling in him, and we can love. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shared in abroad in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And so what we learned, what we learned in 1st John chapter 3, the quality of our selection relationship is with the Father bestowed upon us on the time we confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. You are now a child of God, John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them we have given the power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Then verses 4 and 5, sin is the attack on our relationship with God. And then verses 6 to 15, hatred is an attack on our relationship in the church, in the body of Christ. And then finally, agape is that power of love that comes from God to love Him and to love the brethren in the church. We don't produce that agape. It comes from God, hallelujah, by His Holy Spirit. Again, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by His Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you from the meditation of His Word today.